Hey everybody, welcome to the segment Thrill Me, the podcast devoted to horror and thrillers and stuff that scares you throughout the 80s and beyond. I'm your host, Michael. My co-host, Kersey's on the other side. Hey, how's it going? But I should say that it's not always about scaring. Sometimes, like, the thrills could just be excitement. Yeah, that's true. Um, action movies. At some point, I was thinking of adding some kung fu or action movies to this. Oh, heck yeah. Um, so this episode is movies about driving someone crazy in different ways. Uh, we have Psycho 2 and of Unknown Origin and two wildly different... I was entertained by both, but two wildly different results. Yeah, uh, one is definitely a little more contemplative than the other. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Psycho 2 coming, what, 23 years after the original? Now, did you go back and watch the original or the remake of the original, which is the same movie in color? <laughs> You know, it's weird. I've never seen Psycho. It's. I was actually talking to my friend about it the other day. I think it's just one of those things where uh, I've seen some people talk about it. I've seen so many clips of it that I feel like I've already watched it, so I don't feel the need to watch it. Yeah, I've been like that with kind movies. Of one of those weird situations. Yeah. Um, but, of course, the original being like basically the groundwork for the first slasher film. Uh, setting Hitchcock up as the A-list director. He did have some hits before this, but this is the one that just blew him out of the water. And uh, gave, um, oh my God, I can't, oh, Tony Anthony Perkins, uh, his first starring role, and sadly, never really had a big career outside of the Psycho film. So, 1983 rolls around, slashers are huge again. Universal's looking to revive it, and Anthony Perkins needed a hit. And uh, I think they got an excellent director and a very good writer, Tom Holland, the guy who would go on to create Fright Night and Child's Play. Uh, and then we have the director of Road Games coming over from Australia, who already was very in, uh, Hitchcock-influenced, and he brings a lot of that style to this. Yeah, I was surprised, because when I heard Psycho 2, I was immediately thinking, like, this is just going to be a rehash, and it was going to be hilarious, but it was actually really interesting, and kind of goes out of its way to... Uh, explain like how everything would work like set, kind of like it, it's setting back at the hotel and all of these things that are kind of being brought back up again um seem like it wouldn't work but the way that they try to explain it the way that the circumstances line up it just kind of, it does really work yeah he, in his favor he tries to have a normal life but people just won't let him for various reasons Either they remember what happened or they want to take advantage of what happened. Nobody in this really has um, basically anything innocent about it. It's weird that Anthony Perkins, the villain of the first movie, well, not villain because he wasn't exactly all there, but he basically is the most innocent character of this until the very end when he basically snaps. Yeah, and it is also interesting that there are people who try to take advantage of him because of his past as well. They try to exploit it uh, or uh, try to manipulate him uh, based on that. And it is interesting because I think my job is working with people who have committed crimes um, and who are uh, found innocent for the reason of insanity. So for me, this is like exactly what I do. Uh, So for me... It is interesting to see a lot of the things that like clients that I work with kind of talk about kind of being brought up in this movie. And so I really like that. What I, uh, what I think is a little bit untruthful, or at least really stretches the imagination, is that someone who's had a, a history of crime that severe would have so many advocates. That is usually not something that happens. 
Okay. Um, I, I wish there were a lot of people who are like the sheriff who would just believe uh, Norman Bates right off the bat, or at least, you know, be very open to listening, which unfortunately is not usually the case. But I, I did like that they kind of chose to do it that way. Yeah, his desperation just to go back to whatever could be considered normal for him. And just people won't let him, and they're you know they're they're bringing up his dead mother, uh, you know either in the house or through voices and letters, and just just slowly making him crack. And it's just interesting how he keeps fighting against it, even to the point at the end where he's desperate to save Meg Tilly, who started off as working against him and then changed her mind. And he, I mean, he just let her stab him in the hands over and over. He's just trying to help her, and it all goes wrong. Uh, it's it a lot of it relies on Anthony Perkins making you sympathize with him. Yeah, and it, it's it's a really hard line to walk that I think he did really well because it's not only there is that it, it maybe he is a killer again and maybe he's just pretending and so he kind of wants that line of being legitimately creepy while at the same time just trying to be just trying to be left alone or just trying to just bring about like he said normalcy again in his life or maybe not again maybe for the first time in his life and so there's this like this desperation and this badness in his character that he's bringing out and to the out to someone who's outside who doesn't understand his situation he seems really creepy but to people who are who know him and understand what he's going through you can see that he's just really he's sad if any if, if anything else he's desperate um which is why one of the main antagonists of his life is now kind of changed because she spends the most time with him. Yeah, she's sent in by, I'm trying to, so the sister of the, um, Janet Lee's character, I believe, is the one that's killed. I think that was pretty good. If I got that right. And then that's her daughter, and they want to get revenge on him. And she's really pushing hard, and that's why Meg Tilly starts, like, you don't know him, you don't know what he's gone through, this isn't like a normal, like, case you know or something that we would deal with is just like a you know vigilante is is uh reasonable um where where we should stop and she doesn't want to and i tell you what when she it's 1982 effects but when she gets it that knife through the mouth oh my god yeah <laughs> uh, another thing too that i think was really interesting and again this movie does this uh over and over again which is really try to explain how something like this would work or could work is that like the hotel apparently is still making money when he's coming back to it? Like it's not demolished or anything. They're like, well, how the hell? How do you have an employee on retainer? This doesn't even make sense. And then you realize that like people will go there just to do drugs and get fucked up, which like that makes total sense. Who else would go to this hotel other than to do drugs? Because like cops ain't going up there, right? Like it's they think it's haunted. So like that that totally makes sense that it would basically just be like a brothel essentially. Yeah, what would you rather stay at this hotel or the one in vacancy? <laughs> Vacancy. Oh god, uh, probably that one. <laughs> I don't know. The, uh, the 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 cool part about it is these movies are always cheap because it's all on the Universal backlot and it really only uses a, a few locations. And I think as the sequels went on and they weren't making as much money that they would go tighter and tighter. This is probably the most expansive of the entire thing. But uh, Psycho Three, there's uh, there was a pilot for a TV show called Bates Motel. And then three years later, HBO did a movie called um, Psycho for the Beginning, which Henry Thomas plays him as a teenager, which I think lays some of the groundwork for that TV show, Bates Motel, which I have never actually seen. I've never seen it either. 
It's like he's the polar opposite of like Hannibal Lecter. Both constantly exploited in sequels with diminishing returns and TV shows. And yet you don't feel sympathy for Hannibal Lecter because he's not remorseful. Whereas Norman Bates doesn't want to be the way he is. Yeah, it it, it is interesting that the first movie, again, is sort of the slasher genre. But kind of at the throughout the movie and especially at the end, they kind of explain that he's sort of a victim of his, of his circumstance. Um, and it's not necessarily his fault. He doesn't really want to kill people. And I think that the second movie explores that, that he feels a lot of guilt and uh, is working hard to try to just be a, a functioning member of society until people just keep pushing him and pushing him to the breaking point. Yeah. And this spoiler, at the end when his real mother comes to visit him <laughs> and he doesn't decide to let her just be his mother, he smashes her over the head with a shovel that and drags her fucking fun. body. I was like, holy shit. Oh, oh, and there's this. It didn't a... really make sense, but no. it, was, it was pretty funny. It, yeah. Or there's Robert Loggia. unexpected it was. There's Robert Loggia as the inspector when he falls off the staircase onto the knife. Holy fuck, that was gruesome. Yeah, I was not expecting that. It was just. Uh, I'm trying to. It, it, reminds, it reminds me of like how uh, Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad will do violence, and where it'll, it'll do this standard, like. Hollywood type action scene or like violent scene and then do something uh, really brutal just to emphasize like how bad this this hurts or like how messed up this is or make it feel more realistic. Yeah, I've never seen that show. Maybe I should get around to it. I do like Bob Odenkirk quite a bit, so I should be watching Better Call Saul. Oh my god, you gotta watch it. It's it's fantastic. Um, And and the nice part is Richard Franklin handles all of it with style and um, not it's not exploitive in any way whatsoever. This is this is a real. Uh, if you're gonna watch a slasher film with like older people or people who are not used to the genre, this is a good one to start with. Because yes, I, we talked about the dads being crazy, but are outrageous, but they're not gory. Yeah. And, well, I think I think one person was stabbed was stabbed pretty pretty gruesomely, yeah. but not first, compared to what else two. was going on in the genre at the time. It's true. It was '83. So. Yeah. Um, by then we're really like really trying to outdo everybody and you know next year we're going to get uh, Friday the 13th the final chapter where they're twisting yeah, heads we, around his and ripping head heads is, off it's falling through the machete yeah, yeah. alright so our next film is Of Unknown Origin uh, directed by George Pan Cosmatos and if you know that Ooh. name not just from his action films his son Paz his son. Co- directed and, and, and seriously is an actual visionary I'm sorry not insult your father but he was never really a visionary mandy is unbelievable yeah. i never seen his first one the, the the beyond the black rainbow or something like that that one is a little it's 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 slow like like the first half of mandy um and it's a lot more abstract uh i like it i've seen it a couple times and I, i'll probably see it again but it's it's very slow and you can definitely see like okay this is his first movie it's very obvious it's his first but Mandy is like everything about Beyond the Black Rainbow, but turned up to eleven. Oh, that's good. Yeah, what I've read about George Penn Cosmetos is he was just a guy who could handle a lot of technical stuff. He could shoot fast, and he cooperated with uh, people very well. So after Unknown of Unknown Origin, he was Stallone's guy for Rambo Two and Cobra. Uh, he did the Leviathan on his own, and then he worked with Kurt Russell on Tombstone. Tombstone. Yeah, I've been I've read many times Kurt Russell actually directed Tombstone, but he couldn't handle the technical stuff, and they couldn't give him 
the credit for it, so they had to give it to somebody, so they hired George Pan Cosmatos because uh, he was recommended by Stallone. Yeah, and he, he is a good director. I mean, it, it, no, no shade at him, just his, his son has a very unique right. uh, voice and vision in cinema right now yeah. in, in a way that his dad did. And his dad, like, he's done two horror movies. We loved Leviathan. As Corey and much of a thing ripoff it is, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. And uh, this one is okay. I think if it wasn't for how he handles the special effects so that it doesn't look like a piece of shit. Um, but it's all on Peter Weller's shoulder. It's, he, has, yeah. he has this house and he wants his family to go away while he takes care of this vermin. And watching him just go fucking nuts. And just destroy his own life and house over this pretty large rat. It's pretty. It's the basically the the size of a medium sized dog. Yeah, um, and I don't know what to use. Maybe a dog or a big raccoon or something like that. But at least what I was glad they didn't do was use like animatronics um, or forced perspective. You know, so you've seen some of those movies where they just like, oh, they're gonna make a small thing look big by mm-hmm. you know by the camera angle and. Um, I mean, it's just, it's this old glorious brownstone in New York City, and it's basically just digging its way through his house. I don't know why. <laughs> it just, because that's its nature. But when he, uh, Peter Weller goes hunting in the nooks and crannies of the house and finds the babies, that's when it's war. And it is, that, that rat wants revenge on Peter Weller so bad. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it very heavy handedly did, it does the whole Moby Dick angle about the person it, driven insane by a, a, a lust for revenge. Um, although I'm not really sure, like who, like if it was if that reference is meant for the rat wants revenge or the guy wants revenge. Like it didn't really explain itself very well in, in terms of like what kind of what it's going for. Yeah, it is just a movie about a man going insane trying to catch this rat. And again, it reminded me of Breaking Bad, that episode of The Fly. It's just, it's just uh, the main, two main characters in the lab trying to kill a fly for the entire episode. Oh, really? And just, and just, you haven't seen it? No, I have only ever seen the first episode. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah. So they're in like a super meth lab, and there's a fly in it, and the main character is having a mental breakdown, trying to kill this fly, and keeps hurting himself and, and his... Uh, partner um and it just becomes a single-minded obsession where it it might completely destroy him yeah. <laughs> so it, it's great it's a great episode and it kind of reminds me of this although there was i think breaking bad does a better job of this concept yeah have you ever seen the movie mouse hunt i have not oh my god Wait, is that the one with the big ass rats no it's it's one with this little itty bitty cute mouse and these two brothers uh, get a very rare house uh, designed by Charles Lyle LaRue, which I don't think was real. But they decide they're going to clean it up and they're going to sell it at auction. And this little mouse ends up destroying everything, but only because they're so obsessed with killing the mouse. They end up destroying their own house. And they hire Christopher Walken as like this elite mouse assassin. And it's, it's oh, really... Okay, it's, I'm sold. I want to see this. It's very funny. It's very... Like the <laughs> darkest aspects of Looney Tunes. That's what it is. It's directed by Gore Verbinski, who would uh, go oh, nice. on to do like The Ring and the, the Pirates of the Caribbean. This was his first movie. And it's wild. But it's a more comedic version of Unknown Origin. And I just absolutely love it. The visuals alone are amazing. We can talk about other movies. Uh, we do. 
<laughs> because they're better than uh, of unknown origin look it's it's a very yeah. it's a low budget canadian film i love connects uh connect exploitation exploitation yeah um and it's just it's just funny like the escalation he's kind of like a psychotic uh elmer fudd or yosemite sam <laughs> who just destroys everything in his path and by the time <laughs> i don't like the end though i was disappointed because when he kills the rat you kind of see it, you kind of don't, and it's just him taking a baseball bat with all these like you know barbed wire nails or whatever it was, and kind of beating it. You don't get the payoff. I want him to blow that fucker up. I wanted to see him like lop its head off. I wanted something more dynamic, and he's just right. destroying that baby's. Uh, and that was also not a very subtle metaphor. Is that he's destroying the the pet dollhouse or whatever it was. Um, I was like, yeah, we get it. You're you're already destroying the house. You don't need to do a metaphor of a metaphor. Um, and then he just walks out, and his wife is like, "What were you doing in there?" And then credits. You know? <laughs> I wanted her to walk in and yeah. go, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, just I, like I was hoping that they walk in, she just screams, and then it cuts the credits. Like that would have been yeah, or something. Uh, or he's so crazy, he just murders them. I don't know something. Just... Right. That's the kind of the problem is that it sets up this 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 idea, and it kind of coincides with with his work, and that he's like overworked, and he's. Um, now he doesn't put value in the things that he should and it just becomes obsessed and single-minded about things and they kind of hinted that like there's some kind of uh, tumultuous relationship with his wife um, who's way that, too hot for him by the way way too hot <laughs> I mean, Peter Weller is a great man but we can agree he's not the most attractive man no um, <laughs> so it is weird that the resolution of killing the rat doesn't really do anything to the movie like it's kind of meaningless yeah like you did the house isn't completely destroyed because he they still walk around in it apparently although they like they could potentially fix it up uh he didn't lose his job um he didn't really lose anything in the process right i really wanted to see the true collapse of a man all right so like in the end it nothing is really lost or gained so there's like nothing learned here yeah it's a it's an entertaining one time watch, but I, I would say that's about it. Don't the, the shop factory has that on a Blu Ray? and I don't see. Okay, I wish the motherfuckers upstairs would stop pounding the ceiling while I'm recording. Thank you, cocksuckers. Um. All right, so we should probably wrap it up. Apparently, they're launching bombs or they're either wrestling. Who knows? Um. So huh. check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind Podcast and Kersey. Thank you very much for another good episode. Yeah, it's fantastic. All right, talk to you next time. All right.